The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. Before we start, I want to give a big shout out to our global outreach team. Brandon Brewer and, the, and their, his team did an amazing job yesterday hosting uh, Neighbors and Nations. And uh, it was really a, a fabulous event that we had here in the Creekside building. If we do it again, you all need to go. It was about 80 people showed up for that yesterday. And it was a great chance for us to hear from our TBC goers that have been out in the field for many, many years, many decades, many of them. And giving us just help on how we can reach people here locally in the ways that they've been reaching people globally for many, many years. So really encouraging. And hopefully we'll do it again, I think, in the future. Um, We are continuing our series called Deadly. And we're basing this on a book by a guy named John Kostler, who uh, wrote a book called Dangerous Virtues. And really it's it's, it's really a take on how we take the seven deadly sins and relabel them and make them dangerous virtues. And so today we're talking about envy. Does anybody want to leave yet? Um, So uh, obviously a a struggle for all of us. Now, um, I grew up in a family. I was the youngest of three boys, and I've got two older brothers. And the oldest one was this big football player, defensive tackle build, um, played, you know, kind of a star football player in, in our hometown where I grew up. Um, played for one of the best teams in the state. Now, it wasn't Texas football, but it was still pretty good football where I grew up. And, uh, and then my middle brother, he's kind of tall and lanky, the basketball player. And then there's me. And I'm just kind of regular. And, uh, and so when I was in junior high, my oldest brother was a senior. And that was when his team went to the state playoffs and they went to the final four in our state. And I, I looked at his teammates like they were local celebrities to me, because they really were. They're just all over the news, all over the paper all the time. And uh, I, I idolized these guys and in many ways envied them, wanted to be like them. And then one day he invites me to go to the high school with him to work out with the football team in the weight room. And I'm just really excited to go and do this with him. And uh, we arrive at the gym, and the players are all hanging out there. My brother and I walk up, and he introduces me to the team, and one of them says, what happened to him? Look how skinny he is. And they're all just laughing and having a good time about it. And I wanted to go crawl in a hole. I wanted to escape that place. But that day, I said to myself, no one's ever going to do that to me again. And so after that, I began, you know, of course, working out all the time and, and trying to get bigger. And, and for me, it wasn't simply about just staying in shape, but it was about getting respect, that's what I was after. Now, there's nothing wrong, of course, with working out, but for me, it was fueled by this, by this envy, wanting to be like someone else. You know, envy can make us do healthy things, but with unhealthy motives, and that was really me for a long, long time. And so today, we're going to answer three questions. What is envy? How does envy affect us? And what is the cure for envy? So first, what is Envy. There's some overlap, of course, with the Sermon on Greed and Prosperity, and, but in this book, John Kostler, he writes, greed wants, envy wants too, but envy wants what belongs to someone else. Envy desires what it wants because it belongs to someone else. My wife gave me some good insight into this idea that greed desires things, but envy desires to be like someone else. So it's a little bit different than how we talked about greed a few weeks ago. 
This might include characteristics like intelligence or personality or sense of humor, looks, athletic ability. We often envy who someone else is. But it can also work in reverse. Not only do we envy other people, we can also want others to envy us. I think most advertisers know this, and much advertising is based on this. That instead of envying, we should want to be envied. I don't think Gucci's trying to help you with your envy problem here, right? But sometimes it's subtle or not so subtle, but advertisers tell us things like, instead of envying other people, if you buy this product, you can turn the tables and you can be the one that's being envied. I think as much of this is what's driving marketing and advertising. Or think about why we post certain things on social media. You know, what's our motive behind that much of the time? Well, you know, of course we have pure motives. We're just celebrating God's blessings, right? Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. And we're just trying to help people who struggle with that, right? So I think an envy motive can drive that much of the time. We live in an age where every kid gets a trophy. I mean, it's no secret to you. Um, You know, we don't want the kids envying each other. But does that really, does that really get rid of envy? The kids know how to keep score, they, they know who won the game, right? But of course, we, we say it, we, we do it in the name of sensitivity and fairness and leveling the playing field, but it doesn't eliminate the hard issue of envy. And we see examples of envy all over the Bible. Envy was Satan's first sin. He wanted God's throne and God's glory. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Satan tapped into envy to get Adam and Eve to commit the first sin. You know, God told them, They could eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden except for one, and then the serpent shows up in Genesis 3, 5, and says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan gets Adam and Eve to envy God, wanting to be like God, wanting to have his qualities, and this causes them to commit the first sin. And it doesn't stop with them. They pass this on down to their children, their sons, Cain and Abel. Um, We know what happened with them. They both brought sacrifices to God. And one, of course, is received. One is rejected. And we see in Genesis 4 what happens. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? Many, I think, have interpreted this wrongly. When I was growing up, many would say things like, you know, Abel had the more costly offering because it involved a sacrifice of an animal, and, and, and uh, you know, Abel had the costly offering, and Cain had the one that just didn't cost as much. And, you know, God... Is a, is a good Texan, so he likes meat, and so he accepted the meat offering and, and not so much the fruits and vegetables. I think that's a bad interpretation of this passage. There's nothing special about the content of their offerings except for the content of each man's heart, and God can see into each man's heart and knows their motive. And I think when God rejects Cain's offering but receives Abel's, what does Cain do? Well, he, he murders his brother because he's envious of his brother. He's arrogant before God, 
and he believed that God owed him something. In the book, uh, Kostler writes this, Envy is the anger we feel when we believe we have been overlooked. Someone else gets the benefit that should have been ours, and we are left standing on the sidelines. And this is, is exactly what Cain is experiencing. He feels overlooked, and it makes him angry towards God. As you can see in the series, these seven deadly sins have some overlap. So envy can drive anger. Envy can flow from anger as we get angry at God at how we feel like we've been being overlooked. We also see envy throughout the entire scriptures. We see envy is what, is what drove Joseph's brothers to sell them into slavery. We see that envy calls Aaron and Miriam to challenge the, the authority of Moses. We see that King Saul had envy towards David, and then he tried to kill David. Envy drove the Jewish religious leaders to hand Jesus over to the Romans. We see envy all throughout the scriptures, if you look at the scriptures in that way. Because envy is about comparison. We convince ourselves that we deserve what, some, what someone else has, and in the end, we shake our fist at God and think God's holding out on us, and so we, we struggle in, in, in some grave ways with the sin of envy. So how does, how does envy affect us? Well, first, it affects our heart. Throughout the series, we have said that we turn these seven deadly sins into dangerous virtues. So we turn lust into love. We turn greed into prosperity, sloth into leisure, and anger into justice. So how do we relabel envy? How do we relabel envy? Well, we might call it ambition, or I'm, I'm just a hard worker, or I just, I just love to work, I just love to achieve. I think Solomon mentions this over in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4, where he writes, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Now, when you read Ecclesiastes, you've got to be careful because you have to understand the context. He's describing life apart from God. So if we don't live surrendered to God, our work will be driven by envy. And we might make the mistake of, of just calling it ambition or I just love work or I'm just driven. And because some are going to read Ecclesiastes 4.4 and say, well, I guess I shouldn't work hard. I guess I don't want to be envious. Well, that's making another mistake, and you might fall into sloth and leisure if you do that. Because there are other verses, like Colossians 3, verse 23, that say, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That word heartily in, in Greek is the word suke, where we get the word soul. Do your work as from your soul. If we work from the flesh, it can be driven by envy. Now listen, we agree, ambition isn't always bad. Paul was a pretty ambitious person. I mean, he had ambition before he became a Christian, but then once God saved him and he was now a follower of Christ, God used that ambition as he spread the gospel all over the Roman Empire. But sometimes we can do good things with bad motives. And Paul mentions this in Philippians chapter 1, where he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, 
knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So Paul describes two types of people. There are those who preach the gospel out of love, and then there are those who preach the gospel out of envy, because Paul had become this popular preacher, this popular apostle, and some were now envious of him. And now he's over in prison, and he says that the ones that are preaching from envy, they're trying to harm him and and injure his reputation. So imagine that, preaching the most selfless, generous, preaching about the most selfless, generous act in human history, but doing so with selfish motives. I'm glad that no one does that today. You know, every uh, year, our staff, we go to, uh, staff and many others at this church go to a conference called the Right Now Conference up in the Dallas area. And every year I go, I'm, I'm highly encouraged by uh, speakers. There, there are just really good speakers at this conference. Uh, many of them write books. Many of them speak all over the world. Many of them do podcasts. There's really good leadership thinkers at that conference. And every year I'm encouraged, but at, at the same time, I'm also I struggle with envy every year we go to this conference. I especially get frustrated whenever the person walks out onto the stage and delivers this 45-minute just riveting sermon without any notes. I hate that person. (laughs) And so I struggle with envy. Every year I struggle with envy when I go to this, this conference. And I'm highly encouraged, but also struggle with envy as I go there. And can I just confess something to you today? There have been many public falls for people in full-time ministry over the last few years. And when that happens, I experience two emotions. I'm always grieved by it. I'm grieved about the consequences for the church and for the gospel. But on the other hand, this is the part that's hard for me to admit, I feel this self-righteous pride creeping in, and that's about envy. Because whenever this happens for someone, something in me says, yeah, I think I, think I kind of knew they were like that. And I start to feel self-righteous or, or vindicated, but the reality is I have envied them, and now they've been humiliated or brought back down to earth, and suddenly I feel better about myself? That is a wickedness in my heart. It is possible to do something good like ministry, vocational ministry, but with horrible motives. This is the most dangerous kind of envy. This is envy that's dressed up in good clothes. So when Paul addresses these people, he doesn't take issue with their message. They're actually preaching a sound gospel. They're they're preaching a sound gospel message He doesn't defend himself or say why he's better than them, but what he does later on in that that chapter, chapter 1 in verse 18, his response is interesting. He says, whatever their motive, the gospel is still proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He doesn't fall into their envy game. He doesn't play their envy game. Envy creates division in the body of Christ, making us quick to judge and eager to find fault with other people because it's about ordering the world in such a way that we are always on top. 
Envy's worst effect is on ourselves. It affects our hearts. Basil of Caesarea said, as rust wears away iron, so envy corrodes the soul it inhabits. Envy has a way of of hollowing us out in our soul. It doesn't just cause division out in the world or in the church, but it causes our hearts to be divided and it has a corrosive effect on us. And I think this echoes a proverb, Proverbs 14.30, where it says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Have you ever heard the expression, it's just eating me up? That's about envy. When someone else succeeds, this is how we respond. You know, why can't it be me? Why is it always them? You know, God commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn, but we do the exact opposite. We rejoice when they mourn, and we mourn when they rejoice. And you see, the issue, the problem is, is how we see ourselves in relation to others, in relation to them. Because the Bible says that Christians should see themselves as part of a body. And when something good happens for one, we all get to celebrate in it because we're connected through Christ. But the person who envies, this person, they don't see themselves that way. They see themselves as just individual, disjointed, disconnected. And when someone else succeeds, instead of rejoicing, a little part of them dies on the inside. Because envy has a corrosive effect on our hearts. But envy also affects our relationship with others. Do you find yourself constantly offended by other people, that, that might be about envy. John Cassian, a 4th and 5th century monk, he wrote this, tormented not by the faults of the people they envy, but by their prosperity, they cannot admit the truth about others and are always on the watch for trivial and silly causes of offense. These imaginary causes of offense cannot be overcome so long as the deadly virus is in them and they will not bring it to the surface. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but is it just me, or does everyone seem rather touchy and easily offended these days? At times, looking for an offense. We, we, we try really hard to look for an offense today. And I think the root of that, for some of us, might be envy. The problem for us who are in Christ is we don't see ourselves connected through Christ. And so when you look at Proverbs 14.30, look at the contrast because it says, a peaceful heart gives life to the flesh. So when we're at peace, it gives us life. When we're not at peace, it affects our relationships. And the thing that's happening inside of us that corrosive effect happening in our souls, in our hearts, will flow out of us and into our relationships, and it affects our relationships in a damaging way. When I was in high school, there was this guy in my school that I really envied. He had a wealthy family. They had lots of money. He was a really good basketball player. At my school, they, they started a, a, a school hall of fame, and he was the first inductee for basketball. He would go to all the prestigious basketball camps, and he'd get all the awards. And uh, when he turned 16, 
his parents bought him this car, a 91 Corvette. Now, his personality kind of matched the car because he was, he was a fairly confident, I'd say borderline arrogant kind of a personality. And uh, in fact, he would double park this car at school. He'd park it sideways so that nobody could ding the door on his car trying to protect his, his Corvette. And then one day, something amazing happened. Someone took a key and ran it five feet down the side of his car. Now, I know what you're thinking, but I did not do it. (laughs) But I will say that for a lot of us, there was just a little bit of rejoicing that happened that day, I think, in some of our hearts. Because whenever we envy people, a little part of us rejoices when they're, they're kind of brought down to size. Now, of course, we don't admit that to ourselves. We make it about them and their flaws. Like, I'm rejoicing because that guy's a jerk, right? That's how we think of it. But envy makes us unhappy at other people's people's success, but also happy about their failures. So envy affects our relationships and, and makes it hard to get close to people. Envy kills community. Do you find yourself just trying to avoid? There might be some, some envy behind that. You, you, you find yourself struggling whenever you're around with other people, so you might want to pull away from people. And so envy kills community, kills relationships. But envy also affects our relationship with God. Sometimes there is real injustice, and it, it can appear like the wicked are just getting away with wickedness. And this can affect our view of God, how we see God. I think we see an example of this over in Psalm 73. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 73 if you have your Bibles with you. And this is a psalm that's written by Asaph, and he is a worship leader who served under King David and King Solomon. And he performed at the dedication of Solomon's temple in in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And he's part of the inner circle of leadership in Israel, and he has seen corruption and evil and unrighteousness among Israel's leadership and elite. So Psalm 73, one through three, where it says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph admits his envy of the wicked because it seems like they're getting away with it. And he's asking lots of questions like, where are you, God? Why are, why are you letting the, the wicked get away with wickedness? It reminds me of a story in uh, 2005, August 6, 2005. There was the largest, one of the largest bank robberies in the world. And there were these men that set up shop and, 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 and made a fictitious landscaping company and set up shop across the street from a bank And they tunneled over several months, tunneled down into the ground, and then tunneled uh, horizontally over 260 feet, almost a football field length, and it came up right under the bank vault. And when Friday rolled around, they drilled through several feet of concrete and steel into the bank's vault, and over the weekend walked out with $94 million dollars weighing 7,000 pounds, that's three and a half tons of money, 
And there were some that were arrested, but not all. Some got away. And authorities only recovered $8 million. So there is, there's still $86 million out there somewhere. And you have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> because sometimes it seems like the wicked prosper while the people of faith suffer. And Asaph says here that his feet almost stumbled. His feet almost slipped. This might be you. You're looking at people that are not obeying God and they're, not, they're doing well and you're following Christ and you're not seeing that immediate return on an investment that you were hoping for. Right now, some of you stand right where Asaph stood, right on the edge, right on the precipice, ready to throw in the faith towel because it appears to you that God's not coming through on his end of the bargain, on his end of the deal. And this can affect our relationship with God, how we see God. And so look how Asaph describes it in verses 21 to 22. He says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Envy makes us bitter towards God. It makes us unable to see God's goodness. We become beastly towards God, shaking our fist at God at the perceived injustice. And then now watch this. Here's the turn in verses 16 through 17 where it says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. Trying to understand this from a human perspective is tiring and wearisome. He is confused, jaded, cynical, and frustrated, just like you and me. But where does he go for understanding? He goes into the sanctuary. And when he worships, he gets clarity. When he's in that place, the sanctuary, the holy of holies, where he meets God face to face, that's where things start to make sense for him. That's where he gets clear vision and he can see things for how they really are. There is something about being in the presence of God. Sometimes we refuse to worship until things make sense, but for Asaph, his worship is what leads to understanding. And in that place, he can see the big picture. He can see the end. He can see where everything is heading. And he can still have hope and maintain that hope. So what is the cure for envy? Well, there are some ways that we try to fix it. We, we try to talk ourselves out of it. Whenever we envy people, we think things for ourselves like, I may not have what I want, but at least I have more than that person. But that doesn't work. I mean, what do you say to that guy? That doesn't work. That's still playing into the envy game. You're just making yourself the winner of the game, and it, you're still playing the game. So what is the cure? Well, it starts with worship and affecting how we, which affects how we see others, but also how we see God. But to get real simple, we've got to choose to pray for those that we envy. When we envy some, someone, they're going to feel like an enemy to us. 
But what does Jesus say to do for our enemies over in Matthew chapter 5? He says, pray for them, pray for your enemies. So if someone feels like an enemy to you, then begin praying for someone that might feel that way to you. And what happens when we do that is we're going to see that our heart begins to change toward them. Kostler writes, when we pray for those we envy, we counter envy's natural desire to dispossess others with a dynamic of grace. When we pray for them, we seek the good of those we envy. We are praying for their blessing. And by doing so, we also lay bare the cold reality of our envy before the presence of God. When we pray for someone, instead of wanting what's theirs, we want to give them grace. We want to be a vessel of grace towards them, a vessel of God's grace towards them. So we choose to pray for those we envy. We also choose to greet those we envy. Again, this is so basic, but in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, don't just greet your friends. Even unbelievers do that. But he says, to, he says to love your enemies, and he says to greet them. To refuse someone a greeting is a refusal of grace. It's a dismissal of that person. To greet them is gracious. How many of you all have perfected the U-turn in the middle of the grocery store? And it's not because you forgot the milk. But you see somebody and you just go, I just don't want to see them. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about all the great things. I'm just going to go a different direction. So envy, envy kills community. But if we choose to greet someone, they become human to us again. And choosing to greet someone in this way is an act of grace. And then lastly, we choose to see the goodness of God. We, of course, see God's goodness first in the gospel. The root of envy is a misunderstanding of the gospel because envy is a belief that God owes me something. You know, I've earned something and he's holding out on me. This goes counter to the gospel. Envy makes us believe things that are counter to the gospel. We can believe a gospel of grace but still be living out a gospel of works. We can live as a follower of Christ for, say, 20, 30 years, and we start thinking to ourselves, you know, I've kind of built up some goodwill with God. God needs to come through for me on this. And we start believing that we're owed or we're exempt from certain things. And this can be the effect that envy has on us. For those of you that are new to to TBC, and you may not know this, but we had a lead pastor here that served for over 38 years, Gary DeSalvo, who died from cancer about two years ago. And those that do attend here for a long time may not know this, but the last sermon Gary ever preached on this stage was on envy from Proverbs. And I went back and listened to that sermon this past week. And of course, he didn't know it was his last sermon. We didn't know it was going to be his last sermon when he preached that sermon. But it was amazing to hear someone who'd been battling cancer for six years and was now starting to feel the pain, the physical pain of that cancer, stand on this stage and reflect on the goodness of God. And he stood here and said to us how grateful he was and how thankful he was 
for God's goodness that he'd had no pain for six years up until that point. And just stood here praising God, giving thanks to God at God's goodness in his life while he was dying of cancer. And it was a powerful testimony. And a reminder for us that we, we also can choose to reflect on the goodness of God in our lives. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to finish by reading Psalm 73, the rest of the passage here. And I want you to make this your prayer as you sit there just and reflect and meditate on these words. Asaph writes, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We see your goodness first in your gospel, your grace and mercy given to us at the cross and in your resurrection. And God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that and let that grace and mercy sink into our souls in such a way that it pours out into our relationships. God, help us to see ourselves as connected to other people in such a way unified with them in Christ. A body that's working together and connected through your sacrifice and connected through your life. God, help us to see ourselves in that way and and change how we see you as we recognize that you're a God to be worshiped because you're a good God. We thank you for this truth and this reality. We pray this in your name. Amen.